Amen. The scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54. We've been going through a series called From Mess to Masterpiece that ends next Sunday on Easter. And this morning we're going to be reading the story about Jesus in his encounter with a, an official, or perhaps a Roman official, from John chapter 4. This is a reading of God's word. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did. When he had come from Judea to Galilee. Amen. This is a reading of God's word. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we are desperate to hear from you, to hear from your voice. Uh, we're desperate to know you and your life-giving, life-changing power. So I pray that this word would give us, would be a signpost to heaven. That it would be a guide, a light in the midst of our darkness to see you. So I pray, God, that you would remove the doubt, you'd remove the hardness of heart, that you'd remove the fear, you'd remove the distractions, and help us to see Jesus this morning so clearly, so powerfully. Fill us with your spirit, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, your voice, and a a clear view of your son, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're a week away from Easter, and starting this Sunday, uh, many Christians around the world uh, look at this Sunday as Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And the rest of this week, Christians from all over the world uh, celebrate Holy Week, and that's the week where we remember Jesus' death and his resurrection. And this is a sacred week for Christians all throughout the week, because it reminds us of who Jesus is and his power uh, to change our lives. Uh, there's a lot of fads today. There are things that go in and out of style. There are all kinds of people and trends. There are all kinds of diets that go in and out of styles, like the keto diet. Like uh, People are all into various organic foods and vitamins. Uh, some people are very into essential oils. I still have no idea what that is, but some people are very into that. <laughs> Uh, aromatherapy, that makes more sense to me. But people are all into different kinds of fads that go in and out. Diets, the paleo diet they're on, they're on a keto diet the next week. And these things go in and out. Some, some things stay longer than others. A juice cleanse, things like that. But you know, there's one thing that has remained constant uh, in popularity, remains constant in terms of people claiming that their life has been changed by him. That's the life of Jesus. 2,000 years ago, uh, a very disempowered man from a religious and ethnic minority in a small region in the Middle East uh, died a common death, a death that uh, 
was shared with a common thief. And more than 2,000 years ago, uh, ever since there's been an explosion of belief, uh, right now there are one-third of the world's population, over 2 billion people, claim the name of Jesus. Uh, from all different regions, all the different corners of the earth have claimed the name of Jesus. And there's power in the name of Jesus from generation to generation, uh, from region to region. People have claimed that Jesus has transformed their lives. And so today we want to look at that idea in Hebrews 13. It says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That There's life-giving power in Jesus from days, years, centuries back to right now to forever. There's always going to be the name of Jesus. And throughout the series, we're trying to get in touch with that life-giving power, that life of Jesus. What about Jesus has changed so many lives? And how can we today get in touch with that life-giving power? And to do that, we've been looking to John chapter 2 to 4. We've been looking at these three chapters and looking at Jesus' encounters with people, people who are troubled, people who are broken, and how Jesus changes them. And today we want to look at this passage about Jesus having this conversation with this Roman official and how his life has changed. And the key to that change is faith. Faith is the instrument that God uses to change people's lives. Faith is the key. It's the instrument. It's the way God transforms people. The Gospel of John, one of the things that John writes about his gospel is that he writes so that we would believe, so that we would have faith. John writes this gospel to produce faith in people. Uh, Faith is the key also not just to becoming a Christian, but living the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of faith. So today we want to look at what faith is, why we need it, and how to live a life of faith. We're going to look at three things as we look at this story from John. Number one, our need for faith, the essence of what faith is, and the idea of contagious faith. Those three things. And the first thing is our need for faith. John chapter uh, 2 to 4, we're looking at uh, these three stories, these, these three chapters. And they're bookended by a city, Cana. John chapter 2 begins in Cana. It also ends in Cana. Their book ends because John's trying to tell a specific kind of story in these three chapters. Um, in John chapter 2, a few weeks ago, I preached on Jesus. His first miracle was at Cana. He turned the wine, water into wine. And here in John chapter five, 4, he returns to Cana. And as he returns, we wonder if there's another miracle that's going to happen there. Another sign that Jesus is going to demonstrate who he is. In John chapter 4, verse 46, it says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he made the water wine. And at Caperna, there was an official whose son was ill. When Jesus got to Cana, a few weeks ago I preached that uh, there was a crisis of sorts. They were, they were at a wedding, it was like a week-long celebration, and the wine ran out. The wine ran out. And in terms of the scale of crises, this was a minor crisis. You know, I said it would create all kinds of social shame on that couple. They'd be forever remembered as that, that couple where the wine ran out. But on the scale of crises, it was, it was a minor crisis. They'll live. They'll live to survive that moment. But here, at, as Jesus returns to Cana, there's an actual crisis 
life or death. Uh, a Roman official has a son who is has a son who is deathly ill, might be on his last legs, might be on his deathbed. He's described as a Roman official. Uh, the Greek word for official is a nobleman. This was a royal official, probably served in the cabinet of Herod Antipas, who was a Roman governor. Uh, some considered him to be like a king. So this man was a high-ranking official. He's like a cabinet member in the White House. He had all kinds of advantages. He was wealthy. He was powerful. He was very well-connected. He had all kinds of privilege. But in spite of all these advantages, he was very broken up. He has a son who was ill, who was deathly ill. And, and because of this, even though he had a lot, uh, he himself felt like he had very little. You know, John chapter 2 to 4, uh, we meet three different individuals, and they, have all, they all have one thing in common. They're all very different. They all have one thing in common. John chapter 2, John chapter 3, we, we meet a man, his name is Nicodemus. He was a religious fanatic. He was a Pharisee. But Jesus tells him, you are so lost that you need to be born again. You need to be made completely new. That's how lost you are. John chapter 4, we meet a woman at the well. She's been married five times. She's been married five times. She's looking for love in all the wrong places. John chapter 4, at the end of this chapter, we meet this man whose son is deathly ill. Uh, John chapter 2 to 4, we meet male, female. Uh, religious, irreligious, very powerful and very disempowered. And they all have this one thing in common, and that thing is that their lives are a mess. Their lives are a mess. That's the thing that they have in common. Their life seems to be spiraling out of control. Uh, Sometimes our lives are a mess because of personal choices that we made. That's the woman at the well. Sometimes our lives are a mess because of things that have happened to us. That's this Roman official whose son falls deathly ill. And regardless of who they are, uh, they feel a sense of need, a sense of want, a sense of loss. Think about this nobleman. He has all kinds of wealth and privilege. Uh, But all of that wealth and privilege and connectedness cannot keep him safe from the tragedies of life. Uh, We've learned that money can buy a lot of different things. Money can sometimes buy your kids a place into a prestigious university. That's what we've learned in the last few weeks. Money can give you a lot of different things. It could give you access. It can give you privilege. It can get you into different areas. But there are things that money can, cannot buy. There are things that connectedness cannot shield you from. And that's what this nobleman has figured out. It can't shield his life, no matter how connected he is, from tragedy. It cannot shield and protect him from his son passing away. What this tragedy has done in his life is that it's exposed him. He's gotten in touch with his own weakness, with his own poverty of spirit, with his own inability. And he's come in touch with that. The writer David Brooks, he wrote an op-ed last week, and he talked about this idea of the best human beings that he knows have something in common. And he uses this metaphor of two mountains, and he says that, uh, in the very beginning of our lives, when we're starting out, we've graduated from college. If we gra- graduated, uh, we start, start on a journey. We want to have a great career. 
We want to be in business. We want to be a lawyer. We're going to be a teacher. We're going to accomplish things in life. We're going to have a family. We're going to have a career. We're going to buy a home. And we embark on this journey of success. And he says that no matter who you are, uh, things happen to you. He says some people actually climb that mountain of success and they achieve it. But they realize when they achieve it that it's not all that it's cracked up to be. Feel a sense of emptiness. They got it, but it's not everything they, th- they thought it would be. They still feel a sense of emptiness. He says some people climb up that mountain of success and they fail. They lose their job. They get divorced. They burn out. There's a sense of loss. And he says the final group of people, they are climbing up this mountain there and they're hit sideways by tragedy. They lose a child. They get cancer. And all the successes that they have had and achieved, it doesn't seem to matter anymore. It seems so small to them. And he says that when a tragedy hits you, there are two different reactions. He says some people get very bitter. They're very angry. They get very tribal. They want to blame something or somebody. He says there's a second kind of person that reacts to tragedy. And he says they're broken open. Uh, Brooks quotes Paul Tillich, who's a theologian, and he says that suffering upends the normal patterns of life and reminds you that you are not who you thought you were. He says there's a second group of people that suffering, it breaks them open. And they realize in that tragedy and despair that, man, that we're desperately broken, that I got a basement in my life that is very deep. And instead of breaking you, it breaks you open to realize that, you're, that you need something more. You need to live for something greater. He writes, when people are broken open in this way, they are more sensitive to the pains and joys of the world. They realize, oh, that first mountain wasn't my mountain. I am ready for a larger journey. He says the people who, are, who have made it realize that that first mountain, that wasn't it. That, that, that suffering has given them a perspective in life. That there is something bigger and greater and more meaningful to live for. And I want to go up on that journey, a new journey, a new adventure. You know, this nobleman, he realizes in the midst of his tragedy that he gets perspective in life. It's not about everything I've accomplished, that there has to be something more. It's a larger purpose. Uh, And that's where he comes to faith. Faith is, one of the ideas of faith is that faith is coming to an end of ourselves and realizing our need for something more, something greater. That's the beginning of faith. Faith begins when we come to realize that we are not enough We realize how out of control we are and how little we control. And it's looking up to a bigger purpose, a bigger power in our lives. The first thing that we need to understand is our need for faith. The nobleman, that's why he comes to Jesus. He realized he needs something more. He needs something greater. He needs something else. And he comes to Jesus. And he comes to, at first... Very superficial faith. So let's look at this idea of faith. Well, what, what is faith? We all need it. We're all going to come upon times in our life when we need something bigger and more meaningful. Uh, and that's why we need faith. But what is faith? Uh, this nobleman comes to Jesus 
and he's desperate. He's in Cana because he's heard through the grapevine. Remember, the water turns to wine in Cana? That's a secret at first, but word starts to spread. Like Jesus, he is something else. He could do miracles. Nobleman travels to Cana. It's a day's journey from Capernaum. He travels there in desperation because he needs to meet Jesus. He needs that miracle in his life. And he comes to Jesus and he pleads with him and he says, Jesus, my son is hours away from dying. Please come to my house and heal my son. You think that Jesus would be really eager to help. But in fact, Jesus actually pushes back. This is what Jesus says in verse 48. He says, so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Throughout the, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is actually very hesitant to do miracles. He's very hesitant to do them. Why? Well, number one, it's because people misunderstand what the miracles were about. The miracles of Jesus were signposts. They were to demonstrate who he is and what his mission was for. So in John chapter 6, for example, Jesus uh, takes a few fish and a few loaves of bread and he feeds 5,000 people with it. And what's the point of that miracle? Well, Jesus goes on to explain, and he talks about the idea of Exodus. In Exodus, Moses in the wilderness has a whole generation of people traveling in the wilderness. They got no food. So Moses prays to God and God rains down bread from heaven every day. Bread comes down from heaven, heavenly bread, manna. Jesus, by uh, multiplying the loaves, is saying to the people, I'm the greater Moses. I'm the bread that has come down to heaven. I've come to fill you in the ultimate way. I come to give you the true satisfaction. I'm the bread broken to feed you. I'm the greater Moses. That's what that miracle was about. But right after that miracle, People roll up to Jesus, and they, what, what, what do they want from Jesus? The answer is they want more miracles. They want more bread. They want more healings. And they've missed the whole point of the miracles, which was Jesus was not just a miracle maker, but the miracle pointed to the fact that he's the king. You know, a lot of people today, they go to Jesus just for miracles. They want just miracles from God. Uh, I met years ago, I met someone who says that they left the church and they left Christianity because uh, he says his mom was sick and he prayed to God, God, heal my mother from her sickness. And he says, God didn't answer that prayer. And he says, "I, I cannot believe God. He did not come through for me. And one of the questions that we have is this, is that what if God is more than a miracle worker? What if God wants to do something more in your life than answer your prayers? What if God is something more than that? And he wants you to understand and explore and embrace something more than answered prayers. What if God is a God uh, a greater than David, a greater than Moses, who's come for something far more greater than that? What Jesus is trying to do to this uh, official is he's trying to enlarge his vision of who he is. I'm not just a miracle worker. I'm the great David, greater than David. I've come to give you more than physical healing. I've come to set you free. I've come to give you life eternal. Jesus is pressing in on this Roman official. 
But what does the Roman official says say in verse 49? He hears it. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. Man, in fact, says, Jesus, I hear what you're saying. He says, I hear that, Jesus, you, you might be more than a miracle worker. But at the same time, I still need a miracle from you. I, I get it, Jesus. You are amazing and you are everything. But if you are everything, could you give me this one thing? You know, Jesus, I realize that you are way beyond anything that I could ever imagine. But at the same time, I really need this healing for my son. I really need it. You know, one of the things about uh, this man, uh, which he has in common with Mary, uh, wedding at Cana, is his persistence. Uh, Jesus at first rejected Mary, remember? But Mary kept on asking Jesus, Jesus, but please, do something. At first, uh, this, Jesus rejects this man, but he keeps on going. God, Jesus, I still need it. One of the things that Jesus says in Matthew 7 is that faith, uh, when you come to God, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking on God's door. Uh, faith is persistent. One of the ideas of faith is that often, in my own life, I've realized that God often doesn't answer prayers right away. You know, there are some prayers that I've prayed for 10 years, more than 10 years. I've prayed for specific people for more than 10 years. And it's only in the last few months that I've seen God open people's hearts to the gospel. It took a long time for me to see that. Why does God take so long uh, to answer prayers? And the answer is faith is a journey. Faith is a journey. Uh, when we continue to ask God and engage God and and Come to God with the same prayer request. God, he works on your heart. Like, is this something you want or something you need? Uh, can you be open to my plan, which might be greater than the things that you're asking for? Faith is a journey. Faith is not all at once. Faith is walking with God and opening up our hearts to God. Uh, faith is persistent. We, we are to continue to go to God. But here's the final aspect of faith. Faith is uh, belief in things unseen. You know, in the short conversation, Jesus is pressing this man to have a deeper faith, not just in miracles, but in who he is. He's focusing him uh, to have a deeper, more persistent faith, but ultimately he calls him to believe in things unseen. You know, right after Jesus uh, here's this word from this man in verse 50. It says, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And it says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Notice at the beginning, the official wanted Jesus to come to his house. He said, Jesus, come to my house and heal my son. And Jesus, ultimately, he says, your son is healed. You know, if this was me and my son was deathly sick, and I was far away from home. Uh, and Jesus said to me, your son is good. He's healed. I would, in my heart of hearts, still want Jesus to come with me. I would, I'd want Jesus still to come with me just, just in case. Just to make sure that he was in fact okay. What Jesus was forcing this man to do by just declaring that his son was good, he's healed, was he was forcing or is giving this man an opportunity to believe God 
even though he didn't see it. And that's really what faith is. Faith is believing God. Faith is walking by sight. Faith, faith is walking, not by sight. So this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is trust. Faith is trust. It's trusting God for things unseen. It's believing God's word. It's believing God's word, even though we don't see it in our life. And that's ultimately what faith is. Faith is trust. Faith is coming to God in the midst of the circumstances of our life. Right now, your life might seem like a mess. It might seem like your life is out of control. It might seem like there are things that you are so unsure about. But faith is believing, God, I know you're turning my mess into your masterpiece. I know that your plan is perfect. It doesn't seem like it's perfect to a lot of people. But I know that you're weaving all these things together in my life for my good. In this past year, uh, God could not have been more good to you. Do you believe that? This last year, if you look at this whole last year, God could not have been more good to you. If you define good as becoming more like Jesus. There's nothing that God withheld from you uh, that you needed. Nothing God withheld from you that you needed. Everything that you had this year and last year was necessary. Every hurt, every pain, every tragedy was necessary. God could not have been more good to you. Do you believe that? That's faith. Faith is believing God. Everything in my life right now is your plan. It's for my good. You're using it. Everything I, ha- I don't have, I don't really need it. And if you have faith like that, you can be content. Like, man, I'm good then. I don't need anything I don't have. I can be content in my circumstances. I can have joy knowing you're going to work it all out. You might feel condemned right now. It might feel loaded down by guilt and shame. But faith means, God, I trust that you have forgiven me, that you've, you've placed all my guilt and shame and sins on Jesus, that he bore them, and I'm forgiven, I'm healed. And you love me with this astonishing love. And I accept that. I love this line from Jackie Hill Perry. She wrote a book called Gay Girl, Good Girl. In it, she struggles with guilt, her sexuality, her past. She writes... Who gave mercy my address or told it how to get to my room? Didn't it know a sinner lived in it? She says, who gave mercy my address? I didn't think I was worthy for mercy to knock on my door. But God found me. Uh, Faith is believing, contrary to all evidence, that I'm loved by God. I'm accepted by him. I'm forgiven by him. Faith means seeing your life as a journey. It means it might seem like your life doesn't have a journey or a destination, but faith is believing life is a journey to your true eternal home. Every day is a step closer there. And every day then we're called to live by faith. Everything's about faith, believing faithfully in a faithful God. Trusting him in him, going on a journey with God, a journey of faith. That's what God calls us to. Uh, the final thing is this, is ultimately when you have this kind of faith, uh, as God presses you on to deeper, deeper levels of faith, the final effect of faith is that faith is always contagious. And this is the last point. The man starts on a journey just looking for a miracle, and he realizes as he encounters Jesus, Jesus wants more than that. 
He wants, he wants to change his life, not just to heal his son. He wants to change his life. And this man presses into this deeper experience and relationship with Jesus. And it says, uh, when finally he walks in faith, he accepts God's word, and he goes back home filled with peace, filled with confidence that God has healed his son. And he goes back to Capernaum. Capernaum's a day's journey. Uh, halfway home, he's met by his servants from his household. They got great news for him. In verse 52, they say that his son is recovering. His son is on the way back. The fever has broken. His health and his vitality is back. And this Roman official double checks, like, when, when did he get better? And they give him the exact hour, and he realized that's the exact time Jesus said that his son is healed. And he's filled with joy. And then something else amazing happens right at the end of this. It says, not just does he believe, it says the whole household believes. This, this, this man tells not, uh, he tells his wife, he tells his children, he tells his servants everything that Jesus has done. And it says the whole household, everyone in that place starts believing as well. You know, we saw this with the woman at the well as well is that the woman at the well receives this forgiveness, the healing of Jesus. What does she do? She tells all her friends. She tells all her family. She goes to the whole city, and she tells people about the work of Jesus. Anytime that you experience joy, you experience something profound, you, the natural instinct is you want to share it with other people. You want to share good news. You cannot keep it to yourself. You know, that's why I love evangelism and I love hanging out with Christians who've just, people who've just become Christians because they're filled with a contagious faith. They've just met God. They've experienced the goodness of God. They just want to share it with other people. And that's the natural inclination of anyone who's met Jesus, anyone who has come to faith. You know, though sometimes... Uh, older Christians, we lose touch with that. You know, sometimes older Christians can become so jaded and cynical. You know, we're so far away from having our life changed by God, and we start disbelieving. Like, God can't change me. Uh, God can't change the people around me. And we start doubting. We start being cynical. We start disbelieving in God's power. And the word I want to speak to you this morning, if that's you, is I want you to believe again. Ask God to renew your faith. One of the things that you can do is take a step of faith. Uh, Start sharing your faith. Asking God to work through that. You know, there's something powerful and life-giving about sharing. I was reading an article uh, about social media. And this one woman wrote an article saying that social media has stole her family's joy. And she said that she was used to, whenever there was some life event, she shared on Facebook, on Instagram, things that were happening with her family. Uh, Her pregnancy, uh, her son, his accomplishments, his achievements, everything that was happening. And she said that was a sugar rush. But she said she began to realize that she was actually very disconnected from actual face-to-face encounters. So she decided she wasn't going to share anymore, not those important moments. And she was going to reserve that sharing for face-to-face moments. And she says she has so much more joy seeing her friend's face light up when she told them she was pregnant. 
She loved saying face to face to someone about the joys that she's experiencing in her life and, and feeling connected to them as people. And she says her joy is so much deeper having these face-to-face encounters, seeing them participate, seeing them respond to that good news. One of the great joys that we have as believers, if you're a believer, is to share that good news with others face-to-face and seeing them receive it or seeing them question it and walking with them in it. That's a, that's a tremendous joy. And that's a tremendous privilege. This is Holy Week. And one of the encouragements I have for you, echoing what Brent said in the announcements, is share your faith this week. Take a step of faith. And ask God to use that. It's Holy Week. Uh, Get uncomfortable. That means taking a step of faith. Uh, We talked about, uh, Tony last week talked about the woman at the well crossing all kinds of racial, gender, ethnic, Social, political, religious boundaries and reaching someone so out of his realm. And Jesus calls us to follow in the footsteps of, uh, of his own footsteps in transcending boundaries. Ultimately, you know, our faith is not a faith in faith. Ultimately, our faith is in Christ. Uh, faith is not the most important thing Jesus is. Our faith is imperfect. It goes in and out. It waffles. Sometimes we have a lot of faith, sometimes we don't, but that's okay. You know, one of the things that Jesus says is that we need faith as a mustard seed. It's the smallest seed. And Jesus says, you don't need a lot of faith. It's okay. All you need is a little faith in a great God. That's all you need. If you're struggling with faith in growing your faith, I would call you this week to pray this prayer from Mark 9. And I love this prayer. It's a prayer of a man whose son is desperately sick, just like this man. And he prays this prayer, which I encourage you to pray, which is, I believe, help my unbelief. It's a profound prayer. He says, I do believe, but there's a lot of me that doesn't believe, but God, work on that. I do believe, essentially, in the deepest part of me that you lived, that you died, you resurrected, you can change everyone, but I'm so cynical. I'm so jaded. I'm so angry. I'm so upset. But God, heal that part of me. Help my unbelief. Sometimes the enemy of the great is the good, and sometimes we're just so complacent in life. But this morning, this holy week, ask God for great faith. Ask him uh, to give you a God-sized vision of your life. Ask him to do things that are beyond your own ability. That's what faith does. Say, God, I want to come to the end of myself, and I want to come to the beginning of what you can do in my life, in the life of my community, my family, and my friends. I want them to see your beauty and your glory and be changed by it. This week, would you walk with Jesus, this road to the cross, this road to the empty tomb? Would you ask him for faith? I believe. Help my unbelief. Please join me in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and we come to you in various places of belief. Pray for people who might not believe you this morning. I know that they're here because essentially and ultimately there is a seed of faith in them. I pray that you'd grow it to a full-fledged belief in who you are. Father, I pray for people who are doubting seriously and struggling with doubt, with guilt, I pray for the cynical Christians who've been to church their whole life, 
but cannot believe you can change them and change the people around them. Pray that you would give us genuine faith, even though we have a little bit of it. We have a little bit of faith in you who are, you're a great and powerful king. Pray that you'd open up our life to a journey of faith. That as we walk with you, you walk with us. And I pray that you would give us a deeper sense of everything you are for us. So pray that you would change us. Pray that you would heal us. Pray that you would grow us to have faith. Faith that moves mountains. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.